You're listening to Three Makes Baby, a podcast about fertility, family, and genetics. I'm Jana Repnow, a fertility counselor and author of Three Makes Baby. Welcome to the show. Today, I am speaking to many of you who are dealing with a delayed cycle uh, in your fertility treatment due to COVID-19. Um, you know that back in March, the ASRM and the European equivalent both postponed fertility treatments in order to minimize the spread of COVID-19. And the ASRM has recently opened up treatments again, especially those that are time sensitive. And they have some new updates and protocol for clinics to go through as they begin those fertility treatments again. Amelia speaks to us today about the impact that the delayed fertility treatment has had on her and her husband. Amelia, I was so glad you reached out to me and wanted to talk about this. I think a lot of people are in your same shoes. So if, yeah, yeah, definitely. yeah and tell me, I'd love to hear about your story. Yeah. Um, so like a lot of people, uh, we started trying to have a baby, um, not long after we got married. Um, and, um, sort of six months in, I started to think, I don't know, maybe there is something not quite right. And obviously time just sort of goes on. It got to about a year and we, um, decided to go and see our doctor. Um, so I, we didn't really have any concerns I had really normal cycles there, there's no sort of major family history that had me worried um other than just not having any success at all um yeah we we just assumed things were were normal um so we started to go and have some tests through our doctors um so I had an ultrasound and also some some blood tests done um all of which appeared to be normal um and my husband had two semen analyses done um, so that was, uh, the first test came back and showed that he had low morphology, okay. um, of his sperm. So that's the shape mm-hmm. of the sperm. Um, and so he had to repeat that test to see if the second result was any different and it was similar. Um, it wasn't low enough that we were in the range of, um, sort of be, that where we would be referred immediately to have, um, treatment, but it was low enough that it potentially could be a problem. Um, but we were really told, you know, it shouldn't be preventing you from getting pregnant. It just might make things take a little bit longer and go away and try for two years. Oh, for two years. Which, yeah. Wow. <laughs> which um, was just, you know, is, is just really tough. Yeah. It had been a year at that point, you know, I w- I'm not a very patient person. Yeah. And how old are you? At that point, I was 28. So we were referred um, for the semen analyses. We were referred to a fertility hospital that's run by the NHS. And they were the ones that said, you go in, try, just can carry on trying for two years. Um, but in, I decided I needed to go back and speak to my doctor um, and, sort of, and sort of went back and said, you know, we have, we've been given this advice, but um, I, I just, you know, if it doesn't feel right. Um, and so kind of pushed for um, something else to happen. And luckily, the doctor was really understanding and did refer us to onto the hospital. Which good, 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 good. Because you were an advocate for your care. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, just, and I would really, really encourage other people to do the same thing. I think it's so easy, particularly if you're young, um, for doctors to kind of just say, oh, you're, you know, you're young, it'll happen, just carry on trying. But I, I knew that by beyond the point of a year, you know, that potentially there's a reason why it's not happening. Um, so, yeah, so we, we were referred to our, our local hospital um, and we kind of went into it assuming if you know all of the tests so far had been normal we obviously knew that there could be this issue with the sperm morphology um but there wasn't anything that was really sort of standing out as being a a major barrier um and in the uk the nhs do it's different around the country but most um parts of the country they do fund um ivf for couples so it, it ranges and it's anywhere up to three rounds um but where we live it's one one fresh round of IVF um so I'd kind of already looked into that and had a bit of an idea of what to expect when we went on to these hospital appointments um so we we sort of naively went into it thinking you know we're not going to find out any more information than we have already and hopefully we'll get referred and that may take a bit of time but that was sort of the path that we assumed we were on um so it came as a just such a massive shock we went into our second appointment at the hospital after having some more tests and they went through the tests and said you know various things had come back as normal which fitted in with what our doctor has said um but my lower my amh was basically just significantly lower than it should be um for someone of my Wow. And so they hadn't tested, your first doctor didn't tell you that. No, well, the, in the UK, when you go to get tests through your, through your GP, they don't tend to test for AMH. It tends to be only when you're referred okay. onto an actual fertility doctor. Um, so I'd had blood tests, but, you know, for hormone levels, but not for AMH. Um, but it just wasn't something that I expected because I was young and, you know, it just was not, in my mind yeah. at all to go into that appointment and expect them to say, but it, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't just that it was low. It was so low that it was a level similar to somebody who's 45 entering menopause. You know, mm. it was, it was just such a shock, <laughs> you know, oh my goodness. I bet it was. Yeah. And here you had been told to go and just try for two years. Yeah. I mean, two years of your life when you're wanting to start a family is a very, very long yeah. time. And if we, if we had listened to that, you know, it would have, been a year or more potentially before we found out this information a year or more of of your egg reserve diminishing you know it, it yes. actually for mm -hmm. us that would have been really devastating, really devastating. Mm -hmm. um so it was good that that i'd advocated and pushed to sort of to be referred but it was just so yeah. shocking um and were you able to to do an egg retrieval yourself yeah well the other thing that happened in that appointment was that they said um my amh was so low that it was below the threshold to be able to be eligible for ivf on the nhs so we were mm. also told in the same appointment we need we were told basically you need to proceed to ivf immediately to do treatment with your own eggs but we're not going to fund it basically um, oh my goodness so it was kind of a yeah just all in one appointment it was Ugh, that's so yeah. disappointing um wow. and I know you know I know that other people in other parts of the world are not lucky enough to get any fun you know for there to be the potential for any funding so you know I know it's not um just something that we might have experienced but it was really really hard 
to hear. Yes, yes. Devastating news. I mean, to get, first of all, starting with your husband, the low morphology, yeah. and then to get your diagnosis too. So you've got two, a double diagnosis now. Yeah. And so you, did you go ahead and proceed with the, an IVF? Yeah. So we, we quite quickly um, moved on to a private clinic. Um, we decided not mm-hmm. to carry on with the clinic that we were seeing through the NHS. We could, we could have done, but we looked for a different clinic. Um, okay. Partly because the we went to go and see this other clinic and they they seemed to be taking the sperm issue more seriously than I felt the NHS clinic were. Um, and obviously we didn't, we felt that that could be another factor, you know, that might work against us. So um, they recommended that we do some additional testing for my husband, um, which fortunately everything else came back as, um, you know, all the levels were normal. But it was kind of reassuring to, to have that information before going into treatment. Um, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, we went into our first round of IVF and um, they did manage to um, collect some eggs. So that was good. Um, we actually got what is, you know, a pretty good number for somebody with really low AMH. So we got six eggs. Um, okay, good. Yeah. But they it quite quickly sort of deteriorated, <laughs> deteriorated over the following days. And we ended up only with one left at day three. Um, one egg left or one embryo? One embryo. When yeah. embryo left. Um, so they did a transfer on day three and we, and we okay. had nothing to freeze, um, which was again, a bit of a shock, I think for us. Um, and we, mm. we did end up getting pregnant from that um, round, but we had a miscarriage. So we had a miscarriage oh. in about six weeks. Six weeks. I'm so yeah. sorry. And did you do any testing uh, to see if there was an, a genetic abnormality, a chromosomal issue. Or? No, so we, we weren't really offered anything. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't okay. far enough along that we needed any medical intervention. It just kind of, you know, it just happened. happened. Yeah. Um, oh, and we sort of assumed, you know, it was likely to to be because of a genetic abnormality. Um, yes, yes. And and it it we just were kind of left with this feeling of, you know we're paying we're obviously paying for all this treatment ourselves that's a, a huge burden mm. financially and mm. we just spent you know thousands and thousands of pounds on this cycle and and ended up with mm. um no, nothing frozen to move on to frozen transfers and mm. um you know really sadly a miscarriage so sort of no you know mm-hmm. where to go um and we had our um, follow-up appointment at our clinic and they were sort of pushing us towards doing a second okay. round with um, your own eggs but we yeah with with my eggs again um they weren't really I wasn't 100% sure about the advice they gave they wanted to completely change the the medication that I had the first time even though I did respond fairly well um and so we we started looking at other clinics and we also started looking at potentially going abroad to um partly well uh to the Czech Republic um so partly because of cost and and also because we were at that stage we were thinking maybe we would look at moving on to donor mm-hmm. eggs to just give us ourselves a much better chance of having success um and also sort of having in the back of our minds even if we were to do a few more rounds with my eggs that may actually be where we end up um potentially given how the first round mm-hmm. had gone um, so yeah, we started looking at other clinics and we found a clinic in the Czech Republic, um, 
that we really liked and they had um, a really good um, donor egg program but also they had a good um, sort of track record with people with low AMH and kind of success in that area. Um, so we sent all of our documentation over to them and they recommended that we um, that we considered doing another cycle with my eggs. So um, we decided that we would I mean, the cost is in itself was sort of half the cost of doing it in the UK, even with the travel and everything included. Um, so we decided that, that that would be our next step. Um, and we'd kind of do one more round and see where we okay. were. Um, so, we, yeah, we we started that um, round and re- sort of about halfway through, I started going for scans to see how the follicles were developing. Um, and basically, I I only had one follicle that was growing. Okay. So I'm confused why the, um, why the, did I understand that right? The agency in the Czech Republic said, suggested that you do one more round with your eggs? Yeah. I, I, I think, I think both clinics were very influenced by my age. Um, just I think the number the, you're 20, being 28 kind of thing. Yeah. I think, I think they just thought I was young and therefore, although I might, get fewer eggs the quality of them in theory should be still be good okay. Uh, okay but i felt based on our first round that that potentially wasn't the case yeah you actually had evidence um, to the contrary didn't you yeah, yeah. but they didn't neither clinics seem to particularly put much value to that so it, you know it's just it's difficult not yeah. having a medical background to kind yeah. of know yeah you know you're sort of um relying on their guidance really yeah in the clinic in in prague they I mean, they were not financially benefiting for you trying again. No. So that no. you think it seems like a very, um, what's the word? You know, a noble suggestion. If they because they if they're not profiting from it, then obviously that's it would be more in their interest to encourage you to to use a donor if they're you know if that's their yeah. If in that and and I think you know that everyone's quite focused on success rates as well. So we felt we felt they weren't you know they weren't thinking about it from a financial point of view they were hopefully recommending the right thing irrespective of that it might negatively impact their um success rates so you know we 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 felt we should listen to their advice and and also just wanting to not really have any regrets that we were advised Mm -hmm. to do something and then we decided not to you know it's just it's so hard it's so hard to know what the right thing is but um so so that second cycle ended up getting cancelled basically um because i just you know, was not responding to the medication, wasn't produce, wasn't, was unlikely to produce any more than one egg in that cycle. Um, and so, and actually the clinic were great. They didn't, we weren't oh, charged yeah. anything, you know, we weren't charged for that cycle. So we were able to recoup what we'd spent and it didn't feel like, you know, but it was, but equally it was just, it was really hard yes. as well yes. <laughs> to not even get the, the opportunity to try that round felt mm. very difficult. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just, even though it's only a few months or so, it's still each, each month is mm. big when you're going through infertility. It's time. It feels, it, time is, doesn't feel like it's on your side. And there's just this sense yeah. of, 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 I know a lot of women and men feel like, did I waste time? Did I, yeah. you know, and that can be very, even though there's no answer to that and there's, you yeah. just have to do what you've done. You just do the best you can at the time. But I know that's kind of that gnawing feeling that people have yeah. and yeah, that can be difficult. So then after that, did you decide to, you know, did you need to kind of step back and, and think about things for a while or were you ready to move forward with another option at that point? 
I think I think after that cycle was cancelled, we we felt you know we've given it a good try, and and based on those two cycles, you know we were likely to have similar results if we went on to further cycles. And financially, we just didn't have the money to continue to go down that route. Really, was the truth of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, endlessly, we just we couldn't really do that. Um, so we we came out of that cycle pretty sure that our next step would be moving on to to donor eggs um and kind of already having the clinic that we wanted to go to because we'd already worked with them um that sort of it meant that we weren't spending many months trying to find somewhere um that in a sense did speed up the process a little bit um but yeah we and we planned we sort of started to plan the the donor egg cycle um but planned it for many months in the future so we had a bit of time to to kind of work through um our feelings around it really and and I um had some counseling and we did some implications counseling as well um so starting to kind of try and just make sense of what that would mean for mm-hmm. our, our life hopefully with children mm-hmm. um so yeah we did we we did move on pretty quickly but we did spend quite a bit of time while we were planning it sort of trying to get our heads into that space of feeling really confident that this was our path and this was what we wanted to move on to that's good and you felt like you had resources that you could turn to you know like a counselor you said you saw a counselor and an implications session that yeah um so that was there were people there that were able to really guide you and yeah definitely I think the counseling for me was is definitely one of the most valuable things I've done throughout this whole process um I just I think I just needed a lot of work around the sort of grief the grief that comes with you know making the decision to move on to to donor eggs um and I I think I had a lot of trauma actually from kind of the process of going into those appointments and just every step of the way it felt like we were being you know there was just another blow Mm -hmm. um and and so I there was a lot of kind of work to be done around that actually um mm-hmm. and I wanted to I wanted to try and you know as much as you can I wanted to try and work through that stuff so that when we did move on to the donor egg cycle and hopefully get pregnant that some of that had been um unpacked and we'd mm-hmm. kind of worked worked through some of it so that mm-hmm. was really really important to me yeah. um my husband not so much because <laughs> mm-hmm. I think like a lot of men he's not you know, he's not a talker particularly. Okay. Yeah. Um, and not as much impacted if, he, if you were going to use, continue to use his sperm. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, so we, we genetic loss that you had. No. So, I mean, we talk about it, but he, he didn't particularly want to participate in the counseling and things, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah. And there's sometimes guys, I was just talking with um, Nick over at the male fertility podcast and, mm. you know, we, I was, he's got, more and more guys coming as guests on his podcast, which is so great because a lot yeah. of times guys don't really want to come to counseling or do support groups or anything like that, but they, they will listen to a podcast and that can be very helpful. So yeah. I think um, they just get it maybe in different ways. That's a little bit maybe more private and just the ways that they can consume the information a bit differently yeah. than we do. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think he, I, it's difficult because I think in a lot of ways it doesn't day to day, I don't see the impact on him in the same way that, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think I probably want to talk about it more than he does, but, sure. um, but there are times when, you know, he went on a stag do, um, 
not long ago and um one of his friends as is um his wife his wife is pregnant again um for the second time and all of his friends were kind of you know um patting him on the back and like you know um he shoots he scores all of that kind of like male camaraderie and I feel for my husband in that situation because I think you know he he knows that there is this potentially this male factor issue at play as well Mm -hmm. um and so I think there are times when that you know the pain and the sadness around it is quite acute for him as well but I think he's just day to day, probably mm-hmm. a bit better able to. <laughs> it's yeah. It's so funny you say that. The, Nick just told me the same thing that he went into work and announced that he was, told his colleague that his wife was pregnant and yeah. um, he was, they were pregnant. And his colleague said something along the lines of, "You know, wow, you you know really you really did it, or you you know something along that." Yeah. But you said he shoots, he scores, and Nick said he goes, "I just said." Yeah, you know, like, what else am I going to say? Um, I'm not going to go into an explanation there, but it is, it's funny how much dialogue there is around that. Yeah. Way to go, man. Way to go. You know, it's bizarre because it's women don't get that same thing. Like, way to go, lady. You did it. You know, I know. <laughs> it's like, what? What? Yeah. What does yeah. that have to do with it? You know, like, that is not. But it is, I don't understand it, it, how masculinity got associated with that. No, I know. It is weirdly yeah. tied in, though, I think, for men. It's I think so that weird. is the... Yeah. yeah. It totally is, and I hope that changes eventually because yeah. um, it's unnecessary and it definitely contributes to this idea that, you know, a man is somehow less of a man if they don't have sperm and that's just not, you know, that it, it should they shouldn't be linked. It's a mental Absolutely. problem like anything else. So. But that's a different story. So yeah, let's yeah. get to what, so you, you know, you're doing, you've done the counseling and you're preparing yeah. for it. You're working through the grief, which is intense and so hard to pe- for people that don't understand what it's like to have a genetic loss. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, I think you have to really walk in the shoes to know what that feels like. Uh, but it is difficult, very, very difficult and important to process it. So then you get to the point where do you finally get to decide to look at donors and profiles and choose someone or? Yeah, well, the the way that our clinic works is that they do the ma- they do the matching. Um, so we don't we don't get to see um, profiles as such. They take information from us and then they match us to a donor that they that they think um, matches some of our criteria. Because the um, in the Czech Republic, donors are anonymous, um, so we're not able to um, find out much information about the donor. Um, oh, so you don't even get to look at a profile? No, no. Like so, that? yeah, oh, okay. so you know, the clinic do all of that, and then at the point at which they match us with somebody, they'll send us information about the person. Um, so, yeah, it's quite different. I think in an, in an ideal world, again, we would have probably looked to have done um, – donor egg treatment in the UK and we did look at that um, at the time that we were kind of comparing clinics and I I would have preferred to have a non-anonymous donor um, but again a lot of it for us came down to kind of the cost because in the UK it was probably three times as much as it would cost us to go abroad um, mm-hmm. and we'd already obviously funded all of the earlier treatment that we had ourselves um, mm-hmm. and and also in the UK a lot of the clinics that we approached the waiting list was you had to pay to join the waiting list and then there was no guarantee that you'd get matched to somebody and it could be six months to a year to 18 months there was a that there wasn't um that sort of 
it wasn't as quick, I suppose, as, as what we were able to do if we decided to go abroad. Um, mm. So that was difficult because I kind of, I still have some worries and doubts about what that will mean for, for future children. Um, mm. But we had to kind of make a pragmatic decision based on what we could afford to do really mm-hmm. um so yeah we we don't get any information about the donor until we're matched with them and then they will share characteristics like hair color and eye color um mm-hmm. level of, of education and their profession um and we can do things like we're allowed to take a gift for the donor if we want to like a small kind of token um mm-hmm. gift that we can give them and we can write a letter or a card um but the anonymity of the donor is is protected Okay. And so then, yeah, so you, you basically went and they, they, did they match you yet then? Have you been matched? No, no. So we, we were due to be traveling to the Czech Republic at the end of April. Um, and, um, and we would have been matched with a donor probably around about now. Um, but we, uh, it was kind of a towards the end of March obviously everything was escalating in terms of the um coronavirus and we were we were initially I think in sort of January February it wasn't really much on my radar because I was trying to um focus on you know the upcoming cycle and trying to stay positive um but obviously throughout March I think the news coverage was just increased and we could see that it was becoming um you know a global emergency mm-hmm. um we had we had worries that potentially travel might be an issue and that um but we still were quite hopeful that you know it was it was going to be end of april and and hopefully that was early enough that we would still be okay um but it was sort of towards the end of march it was actually just through the news i discovered that the czech republic had closed their borders Mm. um to all foreign nationals um for 30 days and that didn't that didn't cover the period when we were planning to travel it was um the period when we were planning to travel was a little bit after it should be lifted but I was kind of well aware by that stage that actually it wasn't likely to be lifted and they have since extended it so mm-hmm. um yeah we we sort of we found out via the news and then I immediately emailed the clinic to to find out if you know assuming that that meant probably that our cycle was likely to be cancelled um went to work the next day and had like hours and hours of waiting for contact from them um to find out if it was going to be cancelled or not and then um had an email kind of late on a on friday evening saying yeah it was the cycle was Mm -hmm. going to be cancelled um they they expected that the czech government probably would be extending the um lockdown and not having foreign nationals come into the country um and they did say to us that they thought treatment might be able to resume in May or June. Um, yeah, in May or June. But I was sort of doubtful that that would, would be the case, really. Mm. Um, and then the following week in the UK, we sort of went into a sort of lockdown period. So I think if it hadn't been the Czech Republic closing their borders, then it would have come quite quickly in our country anyway, mm. um, stopping us from being able to mm. travel. So. Yeah. So now at this point, had you put down any like a deposit or what do they require up front? Yeah. So yeah, we've paid half, half of the treatment cost and we'd, we'd, yeah, we'd booked flights and hotel and Mm. um, everything. Yeah. So we, we had to go through the process of luckily um, the hotel and the flights we were able to cancel, Mm -hmm. get our money back. Um, But the treatment deposit, the clinic are still holding 
obviously the plan is to resume treatment at some point um but we just have no idea when that will happen mm-hmm. does having the travel the aspect of it make it even more difficult to like will extend do you think it will extend the timeline of when you can resume being because it's in a different country do you think at this point yeah. going back to the UK might be quicker it's really difficult to say mm-hmm. because the I think yes it being in another country the timeline is going to it potentially will take longer because we're not just relying on our country yeah. to loosen the lockdown we're relying on another country yeah. and actually just being able to get that information in the UK is quite tricky about what is happening in the Czech Republic um so so that that definitely will I think delay things um and I think um I don't know if it would be quicker moving over to the UK I mean one of the real issues for us around that is just not being able to afford afford it um but I think knowing what the waiting lists are like in the UK I don't necessarily know that that would speed things up and also treatment has been postponed in the UK as well so I don't even know if it'd be possible to go on a waiting list at this point it's it's just a you just have no idea so many unknowns now are the donor eggs frozen or do they do a fresh cycle do they match you and then do a fresh retrieval or are they already frozen yeah they do a fresh um retrieval so we would have been we would have been going out there and preparing for a fresh transfer and the donor would have been starting medication so i mean in a sense we're we're lucky that when as was cancelled and we were hadn't already started that process mm-hmm. um because i have you know i've still got all the medication sat in my cupboard um ready for when we need it um but mm-hmm. and i know there will have been lots of couples who you know will have already been part way through that process um but yeah it doesn't it's still incredibly difficult to just deal with the uncertainty of it we just and there's have- so many unknowns too when you have when you're talking about a fresh cycle with a donor because now you have to assume that the donor is still healthy, that they haven't been exposed to COVID-19. You have to assume that they still want to do the egg retrieval process. Um, You have to kind of just assume that the testing and the the regulation of just disease, disease control in general won't interfere with the medical aspect of donation. So there's Absolutely. just so much, I mean, so many people's lives have changed. Um, yeah. At the same time, I know financially people are impacted, so there may be motivation to, to donate. Um, I don't know, in the Czech Republic, I don't know, I believe, I'm not sure that they're compensated. Do you know if donors are compensated? I think, I think they are compensated um, for, their, for the kind of medical expenses and their, their time I think yeah but not um, for the maybe I don't know if it's a whole lot of money but I do think no. yeah they're medicine medicine and maybe time and and we have we've thought about all kinds of crazy things like how could we get my husband's sperm across the border <laughs> you know just like you just go your mind goes everywhere you just think yeah. is that could yeah. could we could we do that and they could still go through with the cycle and bank the embryo you know you just think about all these things but I'm sure if they're not letting people travel at the moment, they're probably not letting sperm across the border. Right. <laughs> wouldn't and also, they wouldn't, since it's a fresh retrieval, if it was frozen egg, it would be different. But since it's fresh, yeah. there, you know, it just depends on how strict their country is about allowing medical procedures right now. Um, yeah. There is, I know we got good yeah. news here um, from the ASRM. 
uh, yesterday or day before where they are beginning to consider allowing time-sensitive treatments, fertility treatments. Oh, okay. So that's kind of a little bit of a crack of a door as opening there. Yeah. Um, and so I think the, the guidance in the UK, I mean, obviously I'm not having my treatment here, but I know just from other people that I connect with online, the guidance from the UK has been just really difficult i think for with a lot for a lot of people to deal with it they have the hfea have kind of said treatment should be postponed and cancelled because they don't know the effects of um what the coronavirus means for women who are pregnant and they also don't want to at this time create pregnancies which which would put additional pressure on our um, health service um but they're not telling fertile people not to conceive naturally um and um people who are going for fertility treatment you know make up 12 percent maybe of the um of people who are, are trying to conceive so it feels um i think for a lot of people very targeted you know we why are we the the people who don't get to continue to, with treatment i think if they were more open and said actually you know there will be nurses and doctors from those clinics even private clinics that we need to second to the nhs and use them for I think a lot of people would find that they understood that better or you know or even that social distancing can't be maintained um while while they're trying to do treatment cycles um but the guidance just doesn't for me from for a lot of people doesn't really seem to make sense and actually it's quite hurtful hmm. to sort of say yeah. you know it's because they don't want to create pregnancies when um actually nobody is telling anybody else to not conceive naturally. Mm -hmm. And here the American Society for Reproductive Medicine is they're doing, they have paused treatments because of what you mentioned, because uh, they're mm. encouraging social distancing and because they don't want to spread COVID-19. And so in order to minimize the spread, they are reducing treatment. Uh, they do still yeah. deem it as they don't believe that it is elective so they're not saying it's medically elective at all um in fact uh -huh. they say that you know they've also postponed other treatments that are essential like cancer treatments and things like that have been yeah. postponed as well so that is the reasoning uh, over here they're obviously saying yeah. they still there's not a lot they know about covid and how it impacts pregnancy or babies so there uh -huh. is still that up in the air but um that is the reasoning that they the statement that they've put out yeah which i think for i think would feel a lot you know, would make sense to people. I don't, I don't think anybody in the infertility community in the UK are saying they don't agree with cycles being cancelled as such. I think everyone understands that, you know, there are people all, all over the world having to make sacrifices and there are people who need essential treatment who are going to have that delayed for other health reasons. Mm -hmm. um, it just feels very misleading, the information they've put out. Mm. Um, wording, and I think yeah. the clinic... Yeah, I think the clinics are confused as well. I think, you know, some clinics cancelled treatment that people were midway through and then there was guidance to say actually that treatment could continue. But mm -hmm. by that stage, they'd already been cancelled. So, mm, that's you know, so it, yeah. It, 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 yeah, just in a, in a very confusing and uncertain time, it doesn't seem to have helped the situation. You, you really just want clear guidance on what is going to happen and it, that doesn't really seem to be coming through. I know, I think everyone's so many organizations are just responding, you know, for a while it felt like it was minute by minute, things were changing mm. um, as more mm. information became available about the virus. And just, there's still so much we just don't know about it. Um, and so, yeah, over here, we saw that too. We saw there was a, you know, the ASRM, it seemed very sudden, came out and said, 
you know, we're going to postpone treatments. And um, there was really no warning. And I think we're so used to warnings. We're so used mm. to a little bit of, you know, notice like in three months, this is going to yeah. happen, but it was just boom. And for them to say that was very powerful. They just, they are not going to say something that, um, to, to, that would harm their doctors. And so they, you know, when I saw that come across, I knew this, this is very serious. Um, yeah. and, but it's so, it doesn't make it any less frustrating and any less difficult, especially when you have clinics that are, you know, trying to follow guidelines, but it's not clear. And, you know, and, and frankly, I think the, even the organizations, they just weren't clear either. Like they didn't know for sure. And so it's just, no. oh, so many people get, you know, there's so many people that get hurt along the way and such a high cost to you, not just financially, but psychologically, emotionally, you know, what's been the hardest part for, as far as that goes is, you know, finding that out. What, what has been the hardest part for you? I think it's just that, and we're all used to it because this is what infertility is like, but it's just that feeling of being stuck. Mm, yes. Just like it, you just, you can't move forward. You don't know what's happening. It just is such an overwhelming feeling yes. to just, to not be able to move forward. And I think in some ways, and I've seen people post about this online that actually, you know, people who've never experienced infertility are getting a little part of that through live by living through a lockdown mm -hmm. that sense of kind of not knowing when life is gonna go back to normal that sense of not being able to um move forward with things um that is what we're all dealing with day to day mm -hmm. if you're living with infertility but it just feels even more uncertain mm -hmm. at this time um and i and it feels like there's maybe not there's massive amounts of empathy in the community in the infertility community mm -hmm. Everybody is really re looking after each other and rallying, rallying around everyone. Mm -hmm. But in the general public, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know that there's maybe that much sympathy. Mm -hmm. um, it, we've seen a little bit in recent weeks, we've seen kind of national newspapers cover stories mm -hmm. of people who've had their IVF postponed. Mm -hmm. um, but, I, but I think it's very hard if people haven't experienced it or don't have a friend or family member who's gone through it to kind of to sympathize in a way so yeah. it, it feels a little bit like you're living through this you know awful thing you're grieving the cycle being cancelled you're dealing with the uncertainty every day mm -hmm. and nobody else in the world really so sort of you know realizes realizes you know just had I think people just think oh it you know what is another three months or four months or but it's been years yeah. that we've been we've been waiting, if, and the waiting is torture. Is. And if we look at the data about how infertility affects you psychologically, um, we know mm -hmm. that is as distressful as someone that is going through cancer or heart disease. And so, if can yeah. you imagine if someone, you know, my mom passed away of cancer last year and she was in chemotherapy, you know, treatments and she would go to her appointments on schedule. And, um, I talked to my dad the other day and I said, do you know if they're doing treatment still at the center mom used to go to? And he goes, mm. no, you know, I, they're not, they've, they aren't allowed to do tr cancer treatments. And I'm like, oh my gosh, dad, can you imagine if mom was yeah. going through this last year and she couldn't do her treatments. Like we know as a family that went through cancer with a loved one, we know how impactful that is and how devastating that would be. And so, and I'm not comparing cancer to infertility. I don't want that to be confused here. But what I am saying is that our, we do have data that shows that these two medical processes are 
similar in their level of distress, then if we know that, then we know how much we would sympathize with somebody who was, who was, who was coping with cancer right now and not able to get treatment, Mm -hmm. then we would kind of want that same level of understanding for the infertility community. Um, And you're right. It's just not fully understood the same. And it just re it just reinforces that sense of isolation and, and and in, in a way, I think a lot of us feel guilty for, you know, for feeling, upset about cancelled cycles there's so much pain going on in the world right now there are people losing loved ones that's in the back of my mind every time I talk about this because I, I sort of think you know there are certainly people out there who who have it worse and who are going through awful awful things right now um, but it doesn't reduce how terrible it feels for us Absolutely. when we've spent mm-hmm. years waiting for this you know it, so that's re- that's been really, really difficult. Um, yeah, and I always tell people, you know, think of it, we have to remember that fertility is a topic that is, this is not like I've lost my job. This is not like I can't pay my bills. This is a life and death topic. Mm. It is bringing life and then also experiencing miscarriage and loss and grief and similar to to an illness because of that, it's so a huge part of who we are and our kind of the reason a lot of us feel like we're here, not everybody, but you know, a lot of people feel like, well, I'm here to continue to have babies and to sort of continue life on. And so when you can't do that, it is a very critical life and death matter. So yeah, you shouldn't feel guilty. You shouldn't feel guilty. Uh This is such an important part of your life and to have to be for it to be on hold even further and so uncertain still with even more uncertainty now it is incredibly difficult psychologically to to cope with I mean you already were dealing with that and now we've just piled on top of it even more um no and I think because our previous cycle was cancelled as well it kind of feels like are we ever gonna get to go mm -hmm. you know we've not it just it's just so it's just so difficult. Mm-hmm. It absolutely is. What do you do to take care of yourself right now? I think, um, and it's been this way for me and my husband, I think through this, through dealing with infertility is just humor. Mm-hmm. We, we just try as best as we can mm-hmm. to try and find humor in the situation yeah. and find, find reasons to laugh. Um, so that, you know, that still is something that we do all the time um for for me definitely kind of self-care just taking time to um look after myself and do things that I do enjoy you know in the house obviously because we can't go out but you know there's there's so many um things that I think small things that can make you feel better having a nice bath or doing some baking just something that you know just for you mm-hmm. um so that I think can help um definitely the support online I I haven't had my Instagram account for very long um but connecting with other people online who are in the same situation has just been massively helpful Mm -hmm. um because you do you do feel really alone in this and I think if you can find other people going through the same situations and feeling the same way it's just that bit of validation that actually you know I'm not crazy for Mm -hmm. feeling this way this is you know it, it is an awful awful situation to be in mm-hmm. um so definitely su- support online has been great um and we and a kind of distraction I think which is just generally a 
I suppose something people are trying to do in lockdown but Mm -hmm. um we uh, have been renovating our house for a few years Mm, so trying to kind of yeah trying to focus on that and I think if we can do jobs around the house that make it feel like we're making progress and that Mm -hmm. that that feels good but I think I think it's been good to find a bit of balance between um trying to distract and kind of stay positive and see the positives in this situation but also um if there's moments where I just feel like I don't want to get dressed today or I want to cry I'm just kind of letting myself do that yeah because that that's what I need in that moment Mm -hmm. so that's good definitely you know the last guest I spoke with she gave me an update on her situation and she said that the and the you know being in a pandemic and she says it doesn't feel much different from before because she had become Mm. so socially isolated due to because of infertility and so she said you know uh, I'm kind of used to it (laughs) but um do you does that do you relate to that on any level oh yeah 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 I think we've we've all been training for this (laughs) and it's um some of the small positives I guess are just like not having to now think of an excuse to go to that baby shower That's true. Yeah. That, you know that I would have been thinking of an excuse to not go to yeah. not having to like go into work every day and see a pregnant colleague yes. and her bump growing so you know true. There's, yeah there's positives out of it which you know you just have to focus on those things and try to try not to get too dragged down with yeah. the I think if I spend too much time watching the news mm-hmm it just the outside world feels very overwhelming right now and my personal life feels very overwhelming so just trying to find a bit of positivity yeah exactly I think that's great and also I think you know you were saying that the general public doesn't always understand the Mm. what it feels like and I think if you think about this pandemic and the lockdown and there are some people that are just it's so difficult on them because they maybe they yeah. are extroverted and they've never been socially isolated or they've never had a, a reason to to be socially isolated that now they're feeling it and for the first time and yeah it's kind of like you and so many people that have been through infertility and are kind of like oh I've got this and you know what's what's yeah. powerful to me about that is that that shows the inner strength you know they talk about being an infertility warrior um, TTC uh-huh. trying to conceive warrior and it's so true, isn't it? Because mm. now you can see the strength that you have. Um, yeah. You're not, you know, freaking out, panicking, going crazy, you know, all these things right now. You have this inner strength that you have developed over time that probably happened so slowly that you didn't even know it's how strong it really is. Um, yeah. But that's what I see in the infertility community. And that's what I see with people that have been through this that even are on the other side of it and you know maybe have have their family now is that strength stays it stays with you forever I can see you know there's things right not long after we within weeks of us having the miscarriage that we had at the end of our first cycle um I had three consecutive pregnancy announcements from family two cousins and my sister Mm. um all expecting all expecting babies around the time that we probably would have had ours had that pregnancy you know just just so painful but and I Mm -hmm. yeah really really hard and I was at the time dreading this time of year thinking like how am I gonna cope with getting to the time of year when we would have had our 
baby had that pregnancy lasted and and also these family members also having their babies at that time and kind of being this reminder but I I think you surprise yourself every step of this journey I kind of surprised myself actually with how strong I am able to be and you can just deal with so much more than you would have ever considered um so you know it's it has been a bit of a revelation it's so true it's amazing and there's two symbols that I use all the time and it's on purpose is the butterfly because of the transformation um of going from a crawling creature to this flying beautiful insect that doesn't even resemble its formal former self that is the process Mm. that people go through when uh, they experience infertility is you do, you do change. You aren't the same person after you've yeah. been through it and you do get more beautiful and stronger and with the, more capabilities, I believe. Um, and then also I always like the image of the Phoenix, which is the, the bird that rises mm-hmm. from ashes, the death. And again, the life and death, um, you know, analogy and, you know, just being kind of broken down to a point that you just don't think you can take it anymore. And life has given you all the pain you can possibly handle and breaking you down to nothing, basically. I mean, not to be dramatic, but you know, and you know what I mean? And then yeah. being built yeah. back up into this most amazing creature. So I think that is all there. And once again, yeah. this is a next level of, for all of you out there who are trying to conceive and who are on pause right now, it's another level of that. And you're like, well, I don't want another level. Screw that. You know, <laughs> no, <I laughs> no know. thanks. I'm done. I um, and I know it, that's how it feels. It feels like well, yeah. I just can't take any more. There's another. I know. It does feel a little bit like, it does feel a bit like the universe is conspiring. It sure does. In those it moments. Sort of... Yeah, it sure does. And so, <sighs> but I guess that's why, you know, my, my reason for continuing to speak out on this topic, even though it's well past, um, I'm well past the, the point of being in the middle of it um, is to is to be that voice of the person on the other side of it all, and to give yeah. hope because I know when I had no hope, um, there was somebody on the other side standing there going, it, "It's still here. I hope is still here." Yeah, and I wouldn't have believed it had that person not said it to me. I would not have believed it, and and so that's that's the yeah. point is to know that even through all of this uncertainty there is another side and you will get there. And sometimes when you're in the middle, like you are right now, it's just impossible to see it. And it's so, so hard. And I don't take away from any of that pain and that you're experiencing because it's so real and no minimizing, no dismissing, no, just do this or Uh just look on the bright side is not appropriate right now because that's not where you are. Yeah. So I think we're so tempted to try to get you out of that when the truth is you're just, you're in the hard part and we just have to acknowledge that. Yeah. It's hard. It sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I think it, it, sometimes it is good to kind of look back and I just think, I mean, look at everything we've dealt with, mm-hmm. you know, I know the waiting is torture, but we, we have learned to be able to wait, you know, we, mm-hmm. we will be able to get through this. It will pass mm-hmm. and treatment will, will resume at some point it will you know yeah absolutely and you have gotten through it and you have uh, the strength to keep going and just I know people hearing you talk about this will help them to know that one they're not alone that they're also we all you know we're kind of all socially isolated but we're still connected and that their story is like your story and you know there is there is still hope even though you know sometimes it's you don't want to think about that because it hurts to hear to even think about hope again can be painful because it's like, Oh, I don't want to hope again and have my hopes crushed. Um, but 
that it, there is, it is still there and just to hang on, hang on and know that other people that care and that are out there to support you. So I love how you're going yeah. out and getting that support online. Um, either Facebook mm. groups you can join. There's all kinds of um, great therapists and, and um, providers that are offering online Zoom uh, groups now that you can check out. Um, I know there's one and I can, I always share them on my social media and my live stories that mm. I know of. Um, my colleague, uh, the Amira up in Canada, the fertile mind, she does online groups and she's been doing it for seven years. So she's very skilled at it. So there's other yeah. ways you can keep connected during this time while you wait and maybe reach out and meet even more new friends and, and more people that can support you. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, that, that for me has been the main thing. I've just been trying to absorb as much content as I can from people going through this same experience. So Mm -hmm. anybody that I come across who's, you know, on a donor egg journey or who's had their treatment cycle cancelled, I'm kind of, I'm just looking for that somebody in a similar position who's going through those same things. So that Mm. has been just incredibly valuable for me. I, I have been planning, believe it or not, before the pandemic, I was planning to do Zoom call meetups mm-hmm. because I wanted to record them as podcast episodes and then also just have groups that, you know, can meet up on Zoom yeah. and just it would be free. Uh, and so if I can get one underway for maybe a canceled cycles, then we can, you can, we can do one. I'll plan one and we could, it would, wouldn't be more than six or seven people. Yeah on a call. So, um, yeah, no, I'd yeah, love maybe that. if I get that going, I'll let you, okay, great. Yeah. Well, I'll let you know if I can <laughs> yeah, get that going. Brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> so awesome. Awesome. Well, it's so great talking with you today. Yeah, no, thank you. If you're in, interested in the zoom meetups, go to my Instagram account at Jana Rupnow LPC, click on the link in my bio and see if there are any openings for a meetup. Thanks for listening. If you would like to follow me for more content, you can find me on Instagram at Jana Rupnow LPC and Facebook. And you can also grab a copy of my book, Three Makes Baby, on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and Target.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and rate it and share it with a friend if you like it. Have a great day.